Is the Lord's arm too short? You will now see whether or not what I say will come true for you. What a wonderful passage to have today, um, well chosen by Tim and Lydia. As we look at the life of Moses, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and reflect on our own uh, church vision and everything going on. So let's pray together as we look into this passage. Father, we thank you that your arm is indeed not too short to save. Thank you that you are a God of great provision and great power and great protection. And we pray again this morning for your presence to be with us, as it was with Moses, as it was with Jesus, and as it was with the early church. In your precious name we pray. Amen. So uh, welcome back. We're in a series on the role of the Holy Spirit in the church. And we're looking uh, particularly in the Old Testament on these Fridays um, at various encounters with God's power that come through the Old Testament. You remember that the Holy Spirit is defined as God's empowering presence. God's empowering presence. And last week we saw that when his presence comes, there's protection, there's provision, and there's power. And that was all in the life of Moses. And we were talking about how Moses has already gone through several hurdles at the stage we were at last week. He'd got them out of Egypt. He'd rescued them from Pharaoh. He'd had the courage to go back to Egypt himself. And he was tired. And he said, unless I can see your glory, unless I can see your presence with me, I quit. I give up. And now we go on a little bit further and they're whining again and they're grumbling again. And he's tired. Uh, to add to the pressures, his father-in-law has come for a visit. And he obviously quite likes his father-in-law and he's, he's told him to hang around and stay around. Um, you'll see later on in the story, his father-in-law starts giving him advice. At that point, uh, he, he tells him that it's probably time to go back to Midian. <laughs> so there's an interesting interaction going on with Moses and his father-in-law. Um, but... And nevertheless, here is Moses, and once again, he's in a tough place. Everybody is whining, 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 whining. They're complaining about hardships. Uh, They're complaining about things going on. Some of them are saying, uh, we wish that we were back in Egypt. Chapter 11 of Numbers, verse 5, where there was fish and cucumbers and melons and leeks. And onions and garlic. I mean, who pines for leeks, of all things? Leeks. They're, they're whining about a lack of leeks. Now, uh, my wife probably might join that crew. Uh, but the leeks, onions and garlic, for that reason, they're fed up. And they say they've lost their appetite. And all they're getting is manna. And if you remember our previous teaching on these passages, uh, manna just literally means, what's that? What's that? Uh, and uh, it's just some weird sort of bread that arrives with coriander seed and looks like some sort of resin. They've had to sort of get it together, crush it into mortar, cook it in a pot and make it into cakes. And it's pretty bland and they're fed up and they're saying, we want meat. Uh, They're so fed up, they're wailing and whining and complaining. And Moses is just so fed up that he says... um, please put me to death. (laughs) I don't want to face my own ruin. I'm just annoyed with them to the umpty. I don't want to carry on anymore. I quit. No, in fact, you quit me. Uh, I don't want to quit. Put me to death yourself. Sort me out, God. No more. Don't want to carry on. And uh, God looks at Moses and offers him actually very similar advice to the advice his father-in-law will offer him uh, a little while later. He says, bring me 70 elders who are known to you as leaders and officials from the people. 
made them come to the tent of meeting and they can stand there with you. I'm going to come and speak with you there and I will take the spirit that's on you and put the spirit on them and they'll help you carry the burden of the people so you don't have to carry it on your own. In other words, you need to diversify this leadership. It's tough trying to go it on your own, feeling that you carry all the burdens, feeling that you're the only one who hears the whining, the complaining. You need a great team. Uh, 70 people should, should be a good team for you. Um, and then they can hear the, the moaning and the, and, the, and the grumbling, but they can also just encourage you and pick you up and keep you going. Um, okay, so that's, that's the plan. Um, but in order to get these 70 people geared up, you're going to involve the whole community to get the 70 people ready. What you're going to do is tell the people to get themselves consecrated in preparation for tomorrow. They're going to get the meat that they've been asking for, but before they get God's provision, he wants them to set themselves apart. That's what consecrate means, doesn't it? Set themselves apart as holy and to wait on the Lord and to humble themselves before the Lord. And then God's going to do something special to these 70 because the whole community's got ready. Uh, and Moses says, are you sure that I should go to these 600,000 men beside women and children, which, you know, probably about 2 million people? It does slightly hinge on a translation of the Hebrew word for thousands, so 600,000. Uh, some scholars have suggested that a thousand, as translated, isn't a, an exact thousand. But however many there are, it's a shed load of people out there, um, whether it's a football stadium or, or um, you know, like a Brazilian overflow meeting on the beach. It's a huge, huge number of people. And you say, are you sure that I should go to these people and say, I'm going to be able to provide you with meat? Uh, because, let's see what he says, how could I get enough flocks and herds to slaughter them if we had all the fish in the sea and we caught them? They'd eat all that up as well. Have you ever been at that point where you're, you know, you sort of want to believe what God's saying to you, but you know that as you believe it, you've got to step out to people and say, yep, this is going to work, um, and they're going to go, how? <laughs> I've been in that situation. Uh, how is this going to work? How is it going to come true? You may know our church warden here at Christchurch, Peter Williams. Uh, he's a wonderful, wonderful chap, as is uh, Jan Tillich, our other warden. And Peter had a very strong sense a few weeks ago in church that God's provision for us as a church was going to come like manna. You might say, what's that? And uh, that's exactly what manna means. Um, but he says it's going to come like manna. And the key thing that we'll see towards the end of this passage is that the manna and the quail, which is the meat that's going to come, only comes the amount that you need it each day. So it comes in as you need it. You'll remember the story of Christchurch when you, if you've been in a congregation for, for a while, how the provision for the finances for the restoration work came in exactly in the final PCC meeting that happened. The provision for the stonework coming in exactly as we needed. The provision for the overseas giving projects where we gave away such a large sum of money to overseas projects around the world in, in um in Nepal and India and in Africa and South America, giving away many tens of thousands of pounds. The provision came in at just the right time, not ahead of time, but just the right time. And, and Peter says that he believes that God's provision to us is going to come like manna, just the right time. But of course, when you step out as a warden or a vicar and you say the provision will come at just the right time, you're then in a risky place. And Moses is interrogating God and saying, are you sure? 
What does God say back to his vicar, straight warden, Moses? He says this, a question. Is the Lord's arm too short? Really? Is it this sort of stilted, sort of handicapped arm that is not able to stretch out? Is the Lord's arm too short? You will now see, God says, whether or not what I say will come true for you. You'll now see whether what I say will come true for you. So Moses does it. He steps out in faith and tells the people what the Lord has said to him. He brought together 70 of the elders, made them stand round the tent, and then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him. He took off the spirit that was on him and put the spirit on the 70 elders, and the spirit rested on them and they prophesied, but they didn't do it again. In the next chapter, we, we will hear Moses compared to other people, that he, uh, the prophets get revelation through visions and dreams, but Moses is one that God speaks to face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Moses is a hugely special uh, leader, but these 70 elders get a taste of this anointing that overflows from Moses onto them. And you sort of think, wow, that's, that's quite exciting, isn't it? Here's his whole massive leadership team, all geared up and ready to help the two million or so people that they're looking after. But we get a sort of a, a sense of what the Holy Spirit's like in this passage in an overflow uh, encounter that's, that's told in verses 26 through 30. An amazing little encounter. It tells us quite a lot about the Holy Spirit and a huge amount about Moses, as well as a little bit amount about Joshua, who plays the sort of role of the prodigal son's big brother in this passage. So two men are outside the camp. They're called Eldad and Medad. The Holy Spirit's fallen on the 70 elders. These two people are just outside. Um, but they, had, they hadn't made it into the tent. They were supposed to, um, they were supposed to have gone in, into the tent, and they hadn't made it there. And yet the Holy Spirit falls on them anyway. Just like hits them. Uh, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp, someone runs and tells Moses. And, and Joshua jumps up going, stop them, stop them. You know, they're going to get a following for themselves. They've got the Holy Spirit themselves. Keep them under wraps, Moses. Keep them under control. We've got to rein this thing in. It's dangerous if all the people see that Eldad and Medad are prophesying. And Joshua's probably thinking, hang on, I ain't one of these elders. (laughs) I'm missing out on this. They're thinking, well, they, they shouldn't get it either. And Moses says to Joshua, young man, doesn't say that in the text, but it probably comes off. Young man, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. The Holy Spirit's already overflowing to people who weren't even doing what they were told to do. And Moses, speaking inspired by the Spirit, says, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets And the Lord would put his spirit on them. Are you jealous for me? I wish everyone had the Holy Spirit. How do we know that's Moses speaking by the Spirit? Well, that's the very heart of what the Spirit longs to do, isn't it? In the book of Joel, much later on in the Old Testament, the prophet prophesies that in the last days, all God's people will be poured the Holy Spirit on them. That the old men will have dreams, young men will have visions. That on sons and daughters, on women and men alike, the Spirit will be poured out and they will prophesy. 
In the writings of St. Paul, he says, eagerly desire these gifts, especially that you can prophesy. And Jesus says that my sheep know my voice and they listen to me. And the psalmist says that God confides in those who fear him. They know the secret of his heart. There's a longing in scripture for this union of the spirit with humanity. A sort of a quickening of humanity that makes us more than what we already are. It brings us alive, enables us to be everything that we can be, everything that we should be. When the Holy Spirit is poured out on humanity, we live. We heard in we two weeks ago, when the Spirit comes, you are created. And he renews the face of the earth. Moses longs for the Spirit to be poured out on more people. So what happens next? Israel's consecrated itself to the Lord. The spirits come as a sign onto those core leaders. We have the sense that this is just a down payment of something bigger to come when everyone might get the spirit. And then the provision comes. After the presence of the Lord comes the provision of the Lord. A wind comes from the Lord and it drives quail in from the sea, some sort of sea bird. And it brought them in around the camp to about three feet above the ground as far as a day's walk in any direction. And all that day and all that next day, the people went out and gathered quails. No one gathered less than ten homers, <laughs> however much that may be. I imagine it's quite a lot. And spread them out around the camp. It was more than enough for everyone's needs. You remember in the Gospels, don't you, how Jesus sat down 5,000 men on one occasion and 4,000 men on another occasion, and provided for their needs. In the Gospels, he's basically set up to say, here is one who's greater than Moses. <laughs> An overflowing supply comes in Jesus' ministry. Now here we have the original story, how God provided for his desert-wandering people when they were whining to him, when they had a lack of faith, when their leader was saying, kill me now, I give up, I quit. When their leader was broken and full of non-faith. And how Joseph and God speaks to him and says, I'm going to provide for you. My hand is not too short for save. How does he do it? Well, firstly, he brings his presence and then he brings his provision. Why does he not just provide why does he bother to involve the 70 elders? These might be big questions to ask of this passage. Why not just when Moses goes, I'm giving up, why not just send the quail in at that point? Why go through this whole palaver of setting apart the people, consecrating themselves? Why go through the whole palaver of raising up these 70 leaders? Why go through the whole palaver of pouring out the Holy Spirit on them? Because these things show us who God is and what he's like and teach us that he wants relationship with us. He didn't want Moses to be stuck on his own. He wanted a team around him. God loves team, doesn't he? He didn't want the people to just treat him like a slot machine to provide for their needs. He wanted them to have a relationship with him. So he says, take some time, pray fast, get ready for my presence. He says, I want you right so I can visit with you all, not just with Moses. And then when he's experienced uh, presence with them, and he's shown his overflow into the community, then and only then does he bring the daily bread, the daily meat that they need. What does it tell us about God? 
He wants to meet us. He wants to provide for us. He wants us to be ready for him. He's used to working with people who feel like failures or feel like giving up. He's used to taking people to the edge of their resources so that they cry out to him. Why doesn't he make it easier and more comfortable? Probably because we would be useless if he did. It's only normally on the edge that we as frail and silly human beings choose to put our faith and trust in him. So as God leads us on another pilgrimage journey over this year, let us be careful to consecrate ourselves, to all be filled with the Spirit as we now can be, to enjoy God's presence together, to prophesy freely, and to see his provision. May God bless his word to us today. Amen.